You're listening to Behind the Bliss, a weekly podcast where Rachel Autry brings conversations to you from women that share what's behind their highlight reel. Each episode is designed for you to see a message from the mess and encourage you to find balance in the bliss. We know that what you're facing is important for shaping who God has created you to be. Some may say it's a process that often happens behind the bliss. Here's today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. Don't know if you know this, but fun fact, January is actually National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And because of that, we have joined forces with today's guest, Rebecca Bender, to bring you an incredible story, some next steps, and ways to fight human trafficking in your own community. So with that, we do want to disclose that today's conversation has a lot of harder topics that might be difficult to digest if you are a younger listener. We wanted you to know before you continued to listen. Although it's hard to hear, it's needed and this conversation is coming at a perfect time. For nearly six years, Rebecca was trapped in the dark, violent world of sex trafficking. She writes about all of this in her book, In Pursuit of Love, One Woman's Journey from Trafficked to Triumphant. And after she escaped her traffickers, she knew she wanted to fight to change culture and offer hope to survivors. So she launched Elevate Academy, which is currently the largest online school for human trafficking survivors in the world. She shares a little bit about her story in today's conversation, how she even found herself in a traffic circumstance to begin with, ways that we can keep our eyes peeled, and some incredible takeaways that you can apply to your life from her story. I am so excited to bring you this conversation because it is needed, it is timely, and it's something we can all apply to our lives. But it also invites you in to be a part of this conversation of human trafficking that a lot of us sometimes are too uncomfortable to approach. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Rebecca. You just moved 15 days ago. And so people listening, I was telling her, like, I'm so honored you're spending time with me because <laughs> two weeks into moving, <laughs> if you've never moved before, you maybe don't know, but like, it's wild. Yeah. I'm so honored. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm honored to be here, even if I am propped up on some moving boxes. It's still going to be it's still great. That's right. That's when you know, like when your nightstand is moving boxes and like, you haven't really figured out which cabinets in your kitchen things are going to be for. You're like, it's going to be glasses or bowls. Who knows? I know. I know. It's been fun because I'll come home after working and my husband will have it all put away. And I'm like, why would you put bowls there? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> what a hero, though. <laughs> he's like, just tell me where you want things. Yeah, he's doing great. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, besides moving, what else have you been up to? What has this year looked like for you so far? Oh, man. I think this year for me me is really going to be um, just a year of preparation. That's what I feel like the Lord mm. kind of sharing with me. I, um, we, you know, hit the ground running in Texas as soon as we got here, been assisting on the Zephaniah Trevino case. I got um, right away able to do some tours with local safe homes and drop-in centers, assisting on a diversion program, preparing a law enforcement training. And talking with the governor's office on a variety of like workforce um, initiatives and partnerships that we might be able to collaborate. So lots to do, but really for me, it's about 
preparing to even be able to do those things. You know, it's like, yeah, you got to get your house in order before you can move. You have to actually pack and sometimes purge. Yeah. Purging and getting rid of stuff and getting stuff off your plate. And I'm feeling that physical representation of what I'm doing. Like not, I don't want to say spiritually, but with um, projects and things that are on my, on my plate too. So yeah. Wow. Love that. I was like, Rebecca, what are you doing recently? You're like changing the world, meeting with the governor. It's fine. <laughs> doing really cool things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, hit, the governor's task force is incredible. It's a group of three incredible people that um, they're, they're, they're human trafficking task force is doing really great work. And, you know, every state is doing really great work. That's been really a, a blessing to, to do national uh, yeah. efforts is that you get to see what each state is doing. And I'm just always... Um, honored to be in the fight and to see so many people really making a difference in their communities. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, if people listening don't know, January is Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Is that a way to say it? I feel like you Google what January is. There's so many different ways to say it, like sex trafficking prevention, human trafficking prevention, yeah, I don't, awareness. I think it's the National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, I think is the official but I could be the official could term? be totally wrong so <laughs> I'll google it well. hey we're going with yours we're going with yours <laughs> you're more of an expert than I am so and I wanted to bring this conversation to our friends listening for several reasons this story your story is one of power and how we can see purpose to our pain and I'm so inspired by it and so whether someone listening has experienced sex trafficking seen it is passionate about it wherever they are on the spectrum your story is still one that can speak to them. And that's what we are all about here at Behind the Bliss is sharing what Behind the Bliss is. It's National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. So this is <laughs> a good clarification. And I think really cool is happy to share some of my story, but I think really great to talk through what are some of the, what is the difference between awareness and prevention? And, and what are the many ways that we can all get involved to do something? And what would it look like in your community? So I love this conversation. Thanks for having it. Of course. Let's go. I'm so excited. We're just going to dive right on in. You don't have to share your exact story because I want people to read it in your book, In Pursuit of Love, One Woman's Journey from Traffic to Triumphant. But I would love for you to share a little bit about how you found yourself in your trafficking situation, because that I think really could open up the door to, hey, it probably looks different than most people think kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for plugging my book, Small Shameless Plug in Pursuit of Love. <laughs> hey, we're all about, <laughs> yes, the shameless plug about books around here. I we mean, love books. I mean, with COVID happening right when the book was coming out, you know, that an author always appreciates when you talk about the book. Well, my story, I, I think exactly like you're saying, it's not what everybody expects. I think What's really important for listeners to understand about the issue of human trafficking is that we all hear the phrase human trafficking and we picture something. Generally, it's like stranger danger, be careful for the guy in the white minivan offering you a puppy and a candy, right? It's yeah. human trafficking or kidnapped kids from parking lots and they're sold underground onto pedophile island. Um you know, kit, like handcuffed to a radiator in a dungeon. I mean, we all picture this like really sensational Hollywood scene. And what I think is right. important for people to remember is that as a victim of human trafficking myself, now a survivor, but in the moment of my victimization, I too was picturing those things because survivors grow up mm. in the same community as you. Like I, I watched the same movies as you. I went to the same schools as you. I'm 
very likely a similar age to many of you listening. And so we also have those impressions and ideas of what it looks like. And when our situation isn't mirroring those, we think we must not be being trafficked. I thought for a long time I was in domestic violence. I thought maybe I had not made a bad choice. I thought, well, because of X, Y, Z, you know, this is what I just happens when, you know, you've been um, allowing your boundaries to be expanded as a young girl seeking love in all the wrong places. So I just think it's really crucial for people to get that, that we're picturing it just like you. And that's why it's really important to know what it really looks like so we can teach our kids, we can share with our loved ones, we can make sure that we're resharing accurate information, that we're not fueling the misperceptions that are causing people to be unseen and causing survivors to not self-identify. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're here to do that. Let's call it for what it is. I love that. Like, I think that that's a ploy of the enemy in anything, right? Is to like introduce chaos or confusion, mm-hmm. noise, or even convince you that like your idea, your perspective is the only correct perspective. Mm. And because sometimes we fall into that trap, I miss what God's doing. I miss signs and cues and red flags and how to love my neighbor or things that I could stand for in justice because it doesn't match Rachel's definition, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to get outside of our shoes and say, I'm going to do the research. Like, I'm going to, I'm really going to figure this out. I'm going to poke at this because I don't want to be convinced that Rachel's way is highway because God knows it's not. Yeah. Well, my, I, I love what you're saying. Cause it's so true. We, we really do need to lean in and listen and learn and seek wisdom and wise counsel and surround ourselves with truth and chaos can, and division can really stop us from seeing accuracy. And, and I think um, it matters because these are, we're people, we're, we're humans. This is people that are in your community, people that you love and that God might be calling you to help and serve. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I was born and raised in a small town in, in Southern Oregon, kind of your all American small town kid. I grew up skipping rocks on the river and taking a salt shaker out to the garden to pick a <laughs> tomato, just kind of your normal small town kid. I'd ride my bike down to the neighbors and right. We'd play in the yard or <laughs> make a fort in the, in the forest. And yeah, just a really normal childhood. I was not raised in a faith-based home. I had a praying grandma that took me to church on Sundays that I stayed the night at her house or always made sure I came to vacation Bible school, but my parents did not live um, a life that would be at all. <laughs> I'm sure they believed there was a God, but they were not living for Jesus. My parents divorced when I was nine. It was a really ugly divorce, really um, violent divorce. My dad started drinking real heavy. My mom went from being a stay-at-home mom to suddenly having to work a couple jobs to make ends meet. So I had a time from about nine to 13, nine to 12-ish, when I felt really alone, really unimportant, really unwanted. Um, and obviously, you know, I didn't understand as a young person. I do now that they were just really trying their best to rebuild their own lives and deal with their own emotional hurts. But for a a little kid, you just don't realize that there are some vulnerabilities that are starting to take root. And I'm so grateful now to be able to know about those and and talk to my kids about them now that I'm aware of how even kids from normal homes have vulnerabilities. Everyone here, if you have a kid, they're going to have a vulnerability. Talk to them about those. Try to help them identify what they are seek ways to find healing and truth and speak life over them. Um, But I didn't have some of that. And so by the time I had graduated high school 
as a junior because I had enough credits at 17. I was a varsity athlete. I was on the honor roll. And I was also just a party girl. I had no problem jumping in the back of a pickup truck (laughs) after a football game. I just wanted to be seen, wanted, and a part of things. Um, And so finding out I was pregnant at, at 17 took a whole different you know, path for my life. I ended up moving um, out of my small town after I had my little girl up to the college city. And I was so excited to get out of my small town and like see the world. My friends who had uh, been in the dorm room for their freshman year now had moved into an apartment, had an extra room. And so I moved out thinking this was my opportunity. But things at college were not like I expected as being being the girl on campus with the kid. I felt, again, really alone and unwanted. And my boundaries had already started to be expanded. My aunt was a stripper. My roommate started dancing. Um, I went with them a couple times, got on stage, made a couple hundred bucks. And I thought, wow, this is easy. This is, you know, I was already uh, a promiscuous young girl because I was really seeking love and attention. And it was during that time that I met a really incredible young man. He was um, smart and he had ambition. He had all these really big ideas of what we could do together and what we could have as a family and what we would be when when he, you know, got that promotion or just really everything was about we. Yeah, you were dreaming together. Yes, it made me feel a part of something bigger than I was feeling at this like dead end single mom trying to figure out how to put myself through school dancing occasionally at this local strip club, just lost and hurting and lonely. Um, And he had all the answers. And so after six months of dating me, um, he invited me to move in with him. And after I said yes, and was packing up the apartment, he told me that his job was relocating him to Las Vegas. And that's um, where, you know, entertainment capital of the world, it's where all of his bands were getting gigs. And what I think is so important is in that moment, I can remember saying, you know, well, like, I just, of course, I'll come to Vegas with you thinking, you know, every good woman follows her man kind of rhetoric. And he said, families don't live in Vegas. And I thought, he thinks we're a family. And so I begged Mm -hmm. to go, which is a very different scene than a kidnapped from a parking lot locked in a dungeon scenario. Wow, yeah. It was like reverse psychology. It wasn't against your will. Right? Like, I think it's really important here to make sure people understand the legal definition of human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion. And we oftentimes Mm -hmm. only picture force, and we forget this fraudulent component, where you have a con artist who knows what he's doing, He already has trafficked victims in his clutches, and he is pretending to be somebody that he is not. This wasn't his real age. It wasn't his real job. He had completely defrauded me as a con artist for six months intentionally with the purpose to sell me into human trafficking. That is deceptive. It is is not just kidnapping. It is sometimes you need to be real careful who you are giving your heart to mm. and who, who you're allowing to influence your, your life. Wow. Yeah. Can I ask you a vulnerable question right here? Of course. Do you feel like you've forgiven this guy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I go into a pretty good story in the book about forgiveness and finding forgiveness 
<clears throat> for my traffickers, it took me a little while. Um, it really was the Holy Spirit that had to kind of check my heart a little. Um, you know, here I am thinking I'm healed. I'm I'm well into my ministry. I'm married. I have kids. And this is when I was starting to find right in the beginning of all my ministry. And I remember driving to um, go witness to go be a part of mentoring a young girl who'd been trafficked. And she was in a juvenile detention center up north. And I went to meet her and I was driving and I felt um, I had the the radio came on. It was this old gospel song. And I was like, oh, this is my jam. And I turned it up and I'm singing along. I'm like, where do I know this song from? It was like real old school. And I remembered my trafficker used to play it in the home. No way. And I, yeah. And I thought that that's what I said. I was like, no. And, and I felt the Lord say, he is my son and I love him. Wow. I am not proud of his choices, but I died for him. And that hit me. And I thought, wow, I want to pray for him. Um, and I just had this compassion suddenly that I hadn't felt before of not that it was an excuse for his behavior or, or it was that I just forgot what he did. But I felt this moment of remembering that like God loves him and Jesus died for him. And I want him to find salvation. I want him to find um, forgiveness for himself and purpose with his life. And, or it's okay if he ends up in prison, like either way, I was actually okay. And that was the first time that it felt like completely in God's hands. And I trust the Lord more than I need like justice or vengeance or going to hold on to, you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't matter to me as much anymore. Like it's the Lord's decision. And He's his to care, to take care of. It's not it's not up to me. I mean, so simple, but so profound, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, J- Jesus was thinking of them too on the cross, mm-hmm. even them. Which is hard to hard to fathom when you've really endured a lot of hurt, yeah. you know. Um, but I think we've all had seasons in our life where we've had a toxic person. Some harder than others. I know a lot of you know men and women who have had some severe childhood sexual abuse at the hands of trusted people, um, women who've been heartbroken as teenagers, um, marriages that have failed, friendships that have backstabbed us, Mm -hmm. promotions or peers at work that didn't do or came through or had bad leadership. Like we've all had a toxic person and it's really up to us to choose every moment, how we're going to respond, right? Am I going to position my heart in a posture of praise and forgiveness and bitterness? Not for, not for them, not because they're deserving because I don't want it stuck on me. Right. I don't want bitterness in my heart. Like, yeah, it was awful. Give them to Jesus. And you keep purposefully daily choosing not to partner with toxicity, with bitterness, with gossip, with um, anger. It's hard. (laughs) It's not easy. Believe me. I've struggled. There's been times where I've had to every hour change the channel of my mind um, because I could very quickly go down some real rageful, angry moments after the amount of trauma and and PTSD that I had coming out of that kind of trauma. Um, And that was really a, a hard season for me to grow through and learn from 
And it's not to say I get it 100% right. Every day is not a home run still. <laughs> but I am sure a lot further today than I was 10 years ago. I tell you that much. Praise. Praise God. Yes. What do they say? Progress, not perfection. Yes. That's, that's it. Good. Okay. So you're in Las Vegas, um, living a trafficked life. When did it click? Like, this is not, wait a second. This is not, this, this isn't domestic violence. Like, I need to get out of here. And then I know the story, but... If you wouldn't mind spoiling it, can you tell people that might be on the edge of their seat how you get out? <laughs> yes. Well, I think I, I knew right away that this wasn't the promise that he was luring me with. Um, I knew immediately that this was not. Okay. I didn't know there would be for prostitution when I arrived. I didn't know that he would take my daughter and hold her against, hold her basically hostage if I didn't comply. Mm. I didn't know that he was going to... Um, you know, monitor drug use and provide drugs so that I could numb myself from what was happening. I didn't know that he would beat me and traumatize me and sell me to other traffickers. And like, none of that I would have agreed to. Of course. Right. And yeah. and I think when we're working now, I'm, I'm and I know we'll get into this. I'm jumping a little bit ahead. But now that I work cases with law enforcement, we train FBI and, and law enforcement advice schools and all of that. You know, one of the things we look for is force fraud or coercion at point of recruitment and at point of destination. And so sometimes we just have a 15-year-old girl tell us her story. How'd you meet him? What'd he say? When you guys were sitting on the couch watching Netflix, how did he bring it up? And we can sometimes identify the use of force mm -hmm. fraud or coercion as healthy adults that sometimes a young person, 19, 20, 21 even, um, didn't see in the in the middle of their, you know, experience. And so it's really just crucial to have specialized services and people that know what they're doing. But I think it's also important for us to not um, see it through a lens of judgment because we can forget as healthy adults right. what it's like in the moment of a 21-year-old young person who has a three-year-old little, three-year-old little girl at home that's being held against her, what that's like in that moment to feel afraid and not to know what to do and you haven't slept in a day, so you're starting to feel foggy in your choices. Mm -hmm. You've been beaten, and so you're very fearful. You think they're following you. Like, you're not thinking from a healthy adult brain. Right. So let's be a little bit more gracious and understanding and helpful than, like, well, it's their choice. They want to be there. And, well, I don't know. I mean, she could have physically ran. Like, do you know what brainwashing looks right. like? It is the complete <laughs> use of, of sleep deprivation and trauma in order to replace somebody's set of rules. That's exactly what traffickers do. Yeah. So, yes, that was a long answer. I don't even remember your question, Rachel. I'm no, sorry. this is so good because that busted one of the myths I was going to ask you about. You, like you just said, like it's not as easy as thinking, okay, just go out the door and start running. Like the, you have you. There's so many more complications and logistics and um, collateral damage that can happen than I think yeah. what seems simple in our minds. Right. And I think what people ask me this all the time, why didn't you just run? And it's a valid question. I mean, again, they're thinking from a really healthy adult brain. What I usually say is I did. Why do you think I'm standing here? I did run. Um, why didn't I run sooner? I had multiple attempted escapes and you learn what to do better for next time, every time it doesn't work. <laughs> it's not like the movies. It's not all going to align perfectly. Yeah. I had, I got all the way to the airport once and they wouldn't sell me a plane ticket with cash. 
Um, most people don't realize that post 9-11, you can't buy a plane ticket with cash. Um, so you get all, all the way there and you think, well, my trafficker didn't leave me a debit card, you know? <laughs> like, of course, yeah. That's not how it works. Oh. Um, and you don't have like a Liam Neeson coming after you all the time either. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, I was able to run once and I called, they have 24-hour daycares in Vegas. I called the daycare and put him on a do not pick up list. And he said, I'm sorry, man, he's already been here to get her. Oh. And so just those moments of like, he didn't run after me. He ran right to my little girl. Like there's, it's, it's just really complex and people don't get it. I have a friend who's another, I have lots of friends who are traffic survivors, but obviously we run, we run in circles together in the field, but she's a speaker like me. And I love when she shares part of her story, she says, I kept thinking at the next green, at the next red light, I'm going to jump out of the car. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but no, every light was green and we were there within a block. (laughs) And so like, it's not these moments that everyone else pictures, like real life doesn't always line up like that. And, and it takes a little bit more time. And, and then other things happen. There were other trafficked women in the home with me and there was another little boy. And so you develop these really um, intense bonds that you think, but what about her? And I can't just leave her. And and now she's in jail. And so I can't just leave her son alone. The little boy will be hurt because his the anger of me running will be taken out on him. And so it just, it's just really complex. Mm, and yeah. it's really like living in a, in a, an intense cult, um, that you feel very brainwashed and you don't know why you're not thinking correctly until you really understand what brainwashing actually looks like. And then you realize how, how how intense it had gotten for you. And it's slow and gradual. Um, if it's obvious, people would jump right out. It's yeah. not. Yeah. That's the whole point <laughs> that traffickers use. Oh, man. And it took an FBI raid to come and rescue you. Yeah, it took a federal task force. The, the FBI gets, they're like, you know, it was a task force agency. I'm like, what's the difference <laughs> to, to a criminal event? Fed. We don't know. Y'all have different departments, but they like to specify. So I, I like to clarify yeah. it too. Um, so and a federal investigation took place. Um, actually, what's so cool is, you know, the we always say, if you see something, say something. And, and the reality is, is that's how we got out. Our neighbor saw something suspicious. Oh, wow. And that's how we escaped. Our neighbor saw something that just wasn't right. And she actually thought drug dealers. <laughs> and she had a friend. <laughs> whatever it takes. Home. Yeah. Whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. You see something, you say something. Um, but she had a friend that was a cop and they were at, I think, a Christmas party or something. I can't I can't remember exactly. I might be getting that wrong. And she said, I wish I could find this neighbor. I have no clue who she is today. Um, but she's the original whistleblower that said, something's up with my neighbors got a whole bunch of young women and one man, and I think they're drug dealers. (laughs) And so the local cop looked into it and said, that's not, that's not drugs. I think that's human trafficking. And they called a federal agency who began an investigation. And after 18 months of being surveillanced, um, the feds raided one of the homes. I never looked back. Never looked back. And it was hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard um, running with nothing. It's really hard choosing homelessness. Yeah. when you're a mom with a little girl um it's really scary sometimes it's it feels even scarier than just Staying. doing what's familiar yeah. yeah it's like I know how to navigate these roads I know the trauma that's coming I've learned how to get him to not you know when he's upset 
I've learned how to navigate the cops. I've learned how to navigate the buyers. But navigating this whole other world of normalcy, that I know nothing about, um, especially when you've been so brainwashed to really feel like I'm no longer a part of your world anymore. Like I've got this whole other underground crime world that's become my my place. And I don't know how you normal folk do this stuff. And so like, it's scary. It's scary to, to step out and say, all right, I'm going to choose homelessness. And I don't know these systems. And I don't know how to navigate a criminal record and the stigmas of prostitution on my on my crime sheet. I don't, I don't know how to navigate having a six-year gap in job history to explain to you. Um, I don't know how to get a job. I don't even know what I'm good at. <laughs> I don't know if I'm good at bookkeeping or if I'm good at art. I have no clue. Mm. And those sort of things take a really long time that I think people imagine you just getting, you know, Jesus in your GED and somehow it's like bibbity bobbity boo. It all comes. It's not, it's, yeah. it, it's hard. Oh. It's hard. I love this whole picture of what does it look like to lean into discomfort and say yes to what discernment is telling you is for you rather than staying in a place of icky, but what feels weirdly safe yeah the kind of boldness and the bravery it takes to be like I just I I'm gonna have to choose hard things I'm gonna have to do new things and relearn things and unlearn things and whatever but like it's so good worth it than staying in this place of um, toxicity that is more comfortable because there is a roof provider and you can come up with all the things right like it's easy like you're saying to convince yourself when you're in, in that unhealthy space with toxic people, regardless of what people is listening situation sounds like. I think we've all been in that kind of situation before. Yeah. And even when you're in a place that's not toxic, but God no longer has that for you. Mm, yes. You know, like yes. sometimes it's not toxic and that's why it's really comfortable and easy. But if God's encouraging you to step out in faith, to go through that next open door, to try something new to to jump for something more, to leave mediocrity even in all its comfort. If he's encouraging you to do that, you will never regret yeah. trying. Yeah. You will never regret saying yes and jumping for what Jesus has, even when you don't know how to navigate it, even when you have no clue what it looks like. I, I just did this this year. I moved from Oregon to Texas. I've never lived in Texas in my life. <laughs> Oregon has been my safety net, my safe place that I run. Whenever I tried to escape him, I came home to my family in Oregon. It's been that safety blanket that's like, here I'm known, here I'm seen. I know this city. I know the people. And yet these doors started opening for my family to leave. And I thought, I don't know any, I don't know anything about Texas. I have no clue (laughs) what I'm doing. I don't know where, you know, like I... But I know that God has never let me down yet. Yeah. When I've said yes and I've jumped for what he has, he's never failed me. That's right. And I want to encourage people today to like jump for what he has for you. Jump for the stars. Um, You will not be disappointed. It's scary. My husband quit his job to move here. He has no job right now. And we're okay with that. Well, God's going to figure it out. That's right. (laughs) We're really holding it with a spirit of expectation in, in like a fun way. Like, I can't wait to see what God has like a surprise party. You know, I just, I picture him walking us into a room with his hands over his eyes and saying, 
if I told you, what kind of surprise would it be? He has nothing but the best. And so that's kind of how we've lived our lives. And I'm so glad we have. And <laughs> and I'm not saying that's been easy. Hear me out. It's really scary. And there have been times when um, I didn't know how we were going to eat or my family has come by with groceries um, because we stepped out in faith to start a nonprofit with no funding. Um, but it worked. and. And we took those hard seasons as lessons that we could use to help others someday navigate their own ministry startup. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's the it's the peace that surpasses understanding. We don't have to have it figured out to be able to accept what God has for us and live in the peace of knowing he's got the whole world in his hands. You know, something that we hear from such a young age that sometimes it's like it has to mean something new. And right. that's what it was for y'all and what it is for y'all still. Yeah. And one thing I also just want to make sure that is equally as important though is wisdom Mm -hmm. like using wisdom because i see a lot of people that are like i'm gonna fight trafficking and they just jump in because like well god told me and he's you know and so like i hear how that stories of faith and stories of stepping out and just trying it like i'm sharing today like will inspire people to do that and i also think some of this ministry, especially trafficking or, or substance abuse or domestic violence, like these are really um, life and death moments for people. They aren't necessarily something for us to toy with without the gravity of like, this is someone's salvation and someone's possible life on the lines. Like, yes, step out in faith to start a ministry, but now go get wise counsel. Go, go be a secret shopper of other people's organizations, find out, go ask for a mentor, go volunteer somewhere else first, go, go tour other people's nonprofits that are similar to yours and ask questions and be open and be teachable. And do you know what I mean? Like there's a balance here, but with being reckless with someone's salvation and stepping out in faith and seeking wise counsel, there's a real difference. And so I just want to make sure that I'm not also encouraging just like flippant recklessness with people's livelihoods. Right. (laughs) No, we love that disclosure. Yeah. Okay. So I want to revisit this whole see something, say something, which really led to freedom for you. Mm -hmm. How people listening, let's say they're on fire for justice and they're like, oh shoot. Yeah, this actually does happen. And I can imagine it happens in my community, big or small, metro or rural, whatever. Like I just, I want to dive into those practicals because Yes, we can. We can really say yes to showing up and just being more vigilant than maybe living a life where we turn an eye to some really scary things because it's more comfortable, like we were saying. Right. I love this. So two things I would encourage people that are interested in, in fighting human trafficking in some capacity. One is there are actually 25 different types of human trafficking in America alone. 25. Wow. Which means... If you're only picturing one way from a movie, you are literally missing two dozen other forms of exploitation that exist in your very own neighborhood. So you can, there's a thing called the typology report, literally just Google it, type human trafficking typology report. And a website from the National Human Trafficking Hotline will come up and it's a very easy to navigate. There's 25 little boxes and it you click it and it flips and it reads, you know, just a couple paragraphs about that type of trafficking. I would encourage you to figure out what's common in your community. And then that's how you're going to know where to serve. And you might ask, how do I do that? How do I start finding out what it looks like in my community? You would, if I was you, I would start by typing in your city and then typing in the word human trafficking and see what comes up. More than likely, there's a community 
in either your region or your area or your neighborhood that already has some kind of task force or agency that's combating this issue. Find out their greatest need. Go and ask them. Go set up a meeting. Go bring them lunch. Go do a Zoom and just say, what's your greatest need in our community and what type of trafficking are you seeing the most? And they'll tell you. And then that's how you form collaborative efforts. That's how you say, you know what? I've called the task force. I'm starting to attend monthly meetings. I'm hearing from these three other service providers that the greatest need is transportation. So you know what? I'm going to start a ministry to transport victims to their to their first job interview or to the grocery store. And we're going to get volunteers from the church and we're going to set up this whole system and we're going to do a sign up, you know, like yeah. that's it. It's It's really... I know that feels like a really complex issue broken down into some really layman's terms, but I I promise this is the way to be collaborative, to not step on toes, to not reinvent the wheel. We sometimes just are limiting our own brains to just the few things we know exist, right? Like you're not going to go Google something you don't know exists. That's not generally how it works. And so being able to go um, traverse your community is going to help you to see like, oh, God is calling me to trafficking in maybe serving in this capacity and helping support and collaborate and unite. You know, God unites, the enemy divides. Don't, don't step in and bring division. That's right. Oh, okay. Incredible practicals. So there's, we actually say there's nine different ways that you can fight human trafficking. We have a find your lane um, quiz and e-course on our website. Take a fun interactive quiz. It partners, it tells you your personality um, what type of traf- fighting trafficking would, what type of advocate you would be, I'm getting tongue tied, um, to combat trafficking. And so we tell you out of these, we tell you all nine lanes and then which one you score highest in based on your personality. And then we give you a free e-course that has a downloadable resource guide and just a five minute video for that exact lane. Oh. And you have access to the whole course. You can watch all five minutes for nine, it's 45 minutes total. Um, and just helps point you in different directions for that type of trafficking. So strip club outreach, we've got you covered. Here's what, here's, you know, if you score high in that, then we tell you a little bit more in the booklet and the video what it is. And then we point you to other nonprofits that are training people in strip club outreach in a really well thought out way. Um, so we want people to plug into that. We want you to, to seek wise counsel from other groups that are already doing it really well so that you can bring it back to your neighborhood and and um, do it with grace. Yes. Oh, we love quizzes. This makes me excited. <laughs> we will yes, link that in the fun. show notes for people that are like <laughs> so excited to take this quiz like I am. And yeah, and go and and be, oh, I just love this. Like God has, like we were saying earlier, God has given us unique and specific gifts and talents and ways to speak into people's lives. And so finding your lane, I think, would bring so much clarity to how people can practically step into the situation yes. and offer a hand. Yeah. So if people are just so on fire, which I just know that they are, um, and they want to get involved in what you specifically, Rebecca, are doing or grab your book, any of the things, how can they find you and where can they go? How can they support you is really my biggest question. Well, you know, I would just add that we are a nonprofit that, that fights human trafficking. My nonprofit's called the Rebecca Bender Initiative. We have two initiatives really we equip communities, especially community professionals, law enforcement, child welfare workers, medical professionals, on how to identify and respond to human trafficking. We do that through trainings, through e-courses, through podcasts, through a variety of multimedia um, channels and platforms. 
Um, and then our other initiative is called Elevate. And Elevate is Elevate Academy is the largest online school for survivors of human trafficking in the world. We have almost 900 students in 12 countries, and it spans 400 U.S. cities. Love that. And so as a nonprofit, we always need your help, obviously. We'd love for you to become a monthly partner with us, to join the initiative, be an ambassador for us. Um, you'll get all the access to all of our equipment resources, but you also know that your donation is helping put a, helping a survivor find her um, now what and help her jump for the stars and figure out what she's good at and, and mentor her to get there. So that's a little bit about our nonprofit. You can visit us at RebeccaBender.org, learn more about those two initiatives there. Um, and I'm really active mainly on Instagram, but I'm also on, on Facebook too. Those are my two kind of main mean social channels. I love that. And y'all get your hands on in pursuit of love. It is so good. Or the audiobook, like we were saying earlier, audiobook for sure too. <laughs> so you can hear Rebecca. Yeah, also available on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, Audible, Target, Barnes and Noble, wherever probably not Target as much because I'm not as big as <laughs> but you find it probably find it Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Wherever books are sold. That's right. Well one of my favorite questions to ask and we'll end with this is what is something that you are loving these days that you have to share with people? Oh I mean, I feel like we've, I feel like we've shared all the things I'm loving these days. I'm loving helping people find their lane. I'm loving making sure we talk about using wisdom and not just, you know, jumping recklessly. Um, I'm loving tangibly. I'm loving all the te- food in Texas. I'm really, yes. <laughs> my Texas 20 is going to hit me um, with all this barbecue. So um you know, right now I'm just on fire to change culture and change the way people see just how far this hypersexual culture that we're in is really impacting the next generation. I have four daughters. I'm married now. I've been married 11 years. I have four kids. Um, I serve as the advi- national advisor to council to, to Congress. We're a congressional advisory council. I got appointed to that seat a few years ago. I'm really honored serving a lot of different task forces and, and, um, and places that get to just help advise. But with that, I'm just seeing, so much of this is rooted in real extreme hypersexuality. And so I want to encourage anyone who's on the line today who has kids. um, This is not just a girl's issue. Um, Not only are obviously boys at risk for trafficking, a lot smaller percentage, that's for sure. But more than anything, the number one buyer of sex in the world is American men. Hmm. What are we doing? Like, what are we doing with our sons? How are we raising up young men to have the character to defend and protect and have self-control and to say no and to stand up and to speak righteousness. Like this is just as much a boy's issue. And I just don't think we're talking about the other side of how our young men are being raised in a very pornographic world and what that's doing on the other side when when we're seeing the demand for trafficked victims like never before. We as a culture have to pray And we need to start being really diligent, I think, about raising up strong young men that can that can speak truth um, without fear of of just not fitting in or I don't know. But I think we can I think as moms, we can do this. We just have to be aware that this is this is an equal amount of the issue. Oh, yeah. I can start with us. Yes, this is so good. And I'm so excited for people to get their ears on this conversation and by the end of it right now I know people are just stoked and on fire whether it's to forgive people that have introduced really hard things into their life like yours whether it's a story of being trapped or whether it's a story of just needing to go for it 
man, there are just so many good things to pull from this. And I hope people are just loving this as much as I am. Rebecca, it means so much to me that you would spend this time with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I just love that you're sounding the alarms. This episode of Behind the Bliss podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more episodes so you don't miss episodes full of encouragement. And don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content. See you in the next episode.